It is time for Baldry's Beat. Yes, even on Good Friday, even on a holiday, our Global News Legislative Bureau Chief very, very rarely takes even a moment off, never mind a day off. Keith Baldry on the line with me. Hey, Keith. How can I t- turn down an opportunity to be on the air with Jody Vance? <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. I want to unpack what has been a crazy busy news week. And very busy you, week. You likely heard John Strait's news just now to the top of the hour and ran a clip from Dr. Bonnie Henry. There was a time not long ago, my friend, that that would have been the headline of headlines. Mm-hmm. But this week has been so crazy that even Dr. Henry talking about us coming out of the pandemic and the end of respiratory season and the lifting of more of the rules around COVID-19. Uh, let's let's start there. Well, you know, it's a sign of where we're at. Um we had the briefing yesterday with Dr. Bonnie Henry, Health Minister Adrian Dix. That's about the 250th briefing we've had with them wow. since this began. I've been at every one of them, and we've run every one of them live on Global or BC1, uh, every single one of them. And I've been on afterwards on every single one of them. Yesterday marked the first time in three years that we bailed early on the briefing. We did not carry the whole thing producer said, you know what, okay, you know, we've heard enough. Uh, we heard the presentation, a few questions from reporters, and before, just about 10 minutes before it ended, we just pulled the plug, um, which we do on most news, pretty well every news event. Yeah. You know, we carry yeah. news conferences live all the time, but we don't stick with them the whole time because they're not that newsworthy uh, for that length of period of time. And now that suddenly applies to the COVID briefings, which we never saw coming for two years. I mean, everyone hung on every word, every development, every instant regarding where we're going with this pandemic. And yesterday was just a sign of where we're at, which is where we've moved on. What a relief, though, hey? Yeah. And Dr. Henry yesterday, for the first time, actually, first public health officer I've seen to put a pretty firm estimate on when the pandemic will end. And she's now estimating... And she's in contact with her colleagues around the world all the time, including her colleagues at the World Health Organization. She thinks it's going to be declared over in a couple of months. Which wow, that gives me goosebumps, news. Keith. Oh, my goodness. So let's go from that great news to the chaos that we witnessed south of the border um, in, in an unprecedented event with Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, being indicted, arrested, charged, fingerprinted. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, it's extraordinary. And again, uh, all the an- anal- analysis I've seen on this is that this is the least of his legal worries. This right. New York arraignment and the payment to the to the adult film star Stormy Daniels, who I invite people to follow on Twitter. She's very entertaining, She's and, very entertaining, uh, and very and informed on this particular yes. case. But Trump <laughs> is facing criminal proceedings potentially on a number of other fronts, not the least of which is being accused of trying to overturn the election result in the state of Georgia, Georgia which is yeah. one of the most important and potentially dangerous situations for him. Also facing um, financial fraud accusations. Uh, there's the business about whether or not he willfully um, took mm-hmm. classified documents. He's also facing a rape case that starts this week from a woman who alleged, a female journalist who alleges that he um, sexually assaulted her. So he's got a number of legal battles which dwarf this particular proceeding in Manhattan, uh, which means he, but again, uh, he still seems to have a stranglehold on the Republican Party. Poll after poll shows he's still well ahead of Ron DeSantis when it comes to uh, potential support for the nomination of that party. But whether he can get it done nationally, 
with all the voters remains to be seen, but it's a, it's a fascinating situation. And again, he's just descending into chaos and trouble. He's not coming out of it. So with all of your years and experience in journalism and covering politics, could you ever have imagined this level, what you just explained, and that the bulk of the Republican Party is basically remaining silent, if not leaning in on this? I yeah, mean, no, the, the only parallel, really, and it's not much of a parallel, is Richard Nixon, who mm-hmm. found himself potentially uh, to be charged with a number of crimes stemming from Watergate. And it wasn't just the break-in of the Democratic uh, National Headquarters. It was the break-in of Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist office. It was right. illegal wiretapping. It was all obstruction of justice. He was potentially was going to face a number of charges. But he was given a pardon immediately by his successor, Gerald Ford, um, who pardoned him shortly after taking on the presidency. But back then, you did not have the Republican Party in the same state that it is in today, which is it has moved significantly to the right, um, partly through religious uh, connections, but also just philosophically a real drift to the right. In comparison, Richard Nixon was almost a liberal compared to where the Republicans are now. He actually established the Environmental Protection Agency, of all things. He, he strengthened labor laws. Uh, so far, quite apart from Nixon's domestic problems when it came to you know, things associated with Watergate, a number of his policies were quite liberal. That's totally out of step where the Republican Party is today. And that's why Donald Trump still is a living, breathing political or organism who has a chance yeah. of regaining power. Which is just mind-boggling. When you when you consider what we witnessed this week, I mean, besides it being very reminiscent of watching the O.J. Simpson white bronco, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of us just like mesmerized watching our TVs and to, until, you know, Donald Trump comes through a door where it's not held open for him, which became sort of the me. I mean, that was in the moment that was like, well, oh, there you go. Okay, that's where we're at. That went but a little walking, viral. Yeah. It did, didn't it? Walking from the courthouse building into the courtroom and and then the judge being very specific, not putting a gag order on uh, former President Trump. Uh, and then the, you know, the, the slow travel back to Mar-a-Lago where he holds what felt like a political rally that was really unpacking uh, a bunch of tired talking points, it felt like, until he started to then attack uh, the attorney general in the Southern District of New York. And and his family and the judge and the judge's wife. Oh my goodness! Um, Trump cannot be. He's a little unhinged. He can't be. Yeah. He just can't stop. Uh, I wonder if a gag order would have been effective. I mean, he would have faced sanctions if he defied a gag order. But he's yeah. got to be careful here. Now, a number of people pointed out what began in New York is going to be a long process. This is not yes. going to be over in a couple of weeks. This is going to go on for months, and he won't be back in that courtroom for quite some time till December. December, like yeah. December. And yeah. then, then like, we're, this could be happening during the presidential election in 2024. It could very well be uh, developing. Uh, Crazy. It's just, it's, just, it's an incredible political backdrop. But, you know, what's going on in the States, we talked about this before, is there's two Americas down there uh, yeah. that are completely disconnected from each other. We have this very troubling situation in Tennessee where a couple of yes. bl- young black state legislators were expelled for protesting uh, against uh, uh, the use of guns and violence and siding with young people who are marching by the thousands in Tennessee against shootings because of the, another 
shooting down there of young people. And so two black protesters who are state legislators were expelled, but the white woman... The white lady got to stay. Yeah. Got to stay. It was just so reminiscent of the KKK, which was originated in Tennessee. That's where it was created. Uh, And those comparisons are being made on social media right now that Tennessee has sort of gone 100 years backwards, 200 years backwards to... A, t- a time of uh, when the KKK was uh, prominent. So, and then on the same, you said two two Americas because what happened in Wisconsin mm. uh, in the judicial in Wisconsin, and what happened in Chicago with the with the mayor's race there. I mean, the youth vote making a big change. The GOP, you know, they say you have to change your politics or you have to change who votes. I'm really concerned about gerrymandering and limiting voting and what have you because of the uprise of the youth vote because. The kids are all right, and they're not taking this. No, Wisconsin's fascinating. So both sides, the Republicans and Democrats, put spent $42 million on a race to replace the Supreme Court, one of the Supreme Court uh, judge positions. Justices. The liberal candidate won, largely because of a strong youth vote. And that just tips everything on its head from abortion rights to drawing up the state electoral line. So what the Republicans have been doing for years is trying to seize control of state houses, winning -hmm. winning state races, because the states control uh, the drawing up of electoral maps when it comes to electing Congress people, congressmen and women. And they've been very successful at gerrymandering, which is basically um, fudging the lines to ensure that they benefit your political party, even though it doesn't necessarily reflect the demographic um, breakdown of your state or region. And so they've been gerrymandering for years, which gives the Republicans an artificial and uh, unfair advantage when it comes to winning uh, congressional races. So Wisconsin now is in the hands of a liberal Supreme Court, which can overturn the gerrymandering that's been going on by the state the state legislature, controlled by the Republicans for a number of years. So it's a pivotal race, pivotal electoral result, and it could have ramifications for other places as well. It is Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief, is here, and we are taking calls. Phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, the number to call. Star 9898 is a free call on your cell. On a good Friday, Keith Baldry is with us. You're one of the hardest working people in media, Keith Baldry, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, lots going on, lots to cover. There is. So ch- chiming in on any topic you like, we'll start on the phone lines with Chris in Ladner. Welcome, Chris. Hi, guys. Uh, Keith, I'm about to retire in a couple of years, and I'm worried about housing costs. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wants a lot more immigration coming to Canada. And that's make, what's making our rents and stuff go through the roof, because there's not enough housing for everybody coming here. Does the federal government or even our BC government with EB, they got any plans to try and release all this, to release all this? Because when I retire, I'm not going to be able to afford where I'm living. I don't want to be homeless when I retire. Yeah, so the EB government has tried to convince the federal government to tie a lot of housing initiatives to this immigration, which is not being forced on the provinces, but in a way it is by the federal government that's opening up. Uh, to half a million people coming into B.C. over the next few years, and people can go where they want. And surprise, surprise, the expectation is uh, many, many people will come to British Columbia, more so than Saskatchewan. 
uh, and in to Metro Vancouver more so than Regina or Winnipeg. And so we're going to get flooded with a number of immigrants. And so the the BC government's trying to persuade the Trudeau government to tie some housing initiatives and housing money to immigration levels. And so far, that is not. Um, not gone over with Ottawa. So, it's, but this is a ticking, a bit of a ticking time bomb. This we've already had a huge increase in our population in BC. Uh, 150,000 people. Our, our population grew by 150,000 last year. One year alone. The year before that was 100,000. So, in, in two years, a quarter million people have moved to BC, and most of them have moved to Metro Vancouver or the Capital Region or or the Okanagan. And so that puts even more pressure on housing and other. Other situations like healthcare. That's one big reason why our healthcare system is teetering. It, it appears from time to time is we've had a population explosion, right. and so just um, you just do the math. There's more pressure on on services. There's now people talking about what about schools? What about Surrey, which already was leading the country in population growth, is going to grow even more? They've had a problem with portable schools in Surrey for more than a decade, mm-hmm. and trying to get on top of that has proved to be an elusive goal. And now it's going to be exacerbated with even more people moving in. So this is a a real problem potentially down the road of this population explosion. And we haven't got the housing, we don't have the health care, we don't have the education uh, services uh, levels adequate enough to meet this population explosion. And supply and demand, it's just going to jack up the price no matter what the interest rates might be, because it It, is just a simple math equation. The most fascinating, I think, part of the of the housing plan announced this week by the NDP government is the ability to build up to four housing units on a single lot. Some right. municipalities are going to cry foul. Some are going to welcome it. But, it, but that potentially is a, a game changer on a number of fronts. Can you imagine just say your own house, Jody, suddenly saying, you know what, I'm going to put three more houses on my lot. Yeah. And I'm going to sell them. So that will increase supply significantly, but it's going to change the, the makeup of neighborhoods. Uh, no question. If you're in a neighborhood, I'm in Fairfield in Vancouver, in um, Victoria, you know, single family detached dwellings are the dominant uh, house in my neighborhood, which dates back to an, all the houses were built in 1912. It's a right. very characteristic uh, neighborhood. It could radically change with a number of people. I've already talked to some neighbors that say, you know what, I think I may put one or two more houses on my lot. And that's going to change the nature of the, of the neighborhood, but it's also going to supply more housing. And in Kitsilano, where I live, I live in, on the west side of Vancouver, um, and, and there are examples of gentle density here. Like that, you know, yep. it kind of it started with the laneway house, and then it's expanded from that, where it used to be one big character home that now has, you know, four or even six independent dwellings that that are kind of like duplexes, but not. There's still space for a yard. There's still mm-hmm. like it's not a tower. People, the nimbyism around real big density that seems knee jerk for some, and really changes. For some people, the, the the feeling of a neighborhood, of course, density belongs in in places where people need to live close to where they work. And I think we're growing as as the south coast of British Columbia, as you say, as very astutely with with the influx of new residents here. We have to make that space because it, it, the alternate is exactly. just not healthy. 
right? Yeah, it, it's inevitable. Home. You cannot yeah. stick with just these large lots with one house on it with one family. No. When you no. when your population is going to explode like this, you have to make room and you have, have to, to ac- make accommodation for people. So our, our neighborhoods are going to change. It's inevitable. And maybe they'll change for the better. Who I knows? So. Keith so. Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief. Happy, happy Easter to you and your family and pat that cute dog for me. <laughs> Yes, I will. Happy Happy Easter, Easter, everyone listening. Take care, Jody.